This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello everybody and welcome to Tampa Tantrum episode the 81. Um, another uh, solo flight because Colin um, is still very busy waiting for a baby to be born. Um, so he um, he isn't able to join us. But luckily I, I've got somebody far better than Colin. Um, far, far better at the written word anyway, shall we say. Um, I have Michal. Is, is that the right pronunciation? Because I was saying your name so many different ways this weekend. Right, so that's that's always that's always the first question. So it's it, technically it should be Michal, but uh, I'm all good with Michael. Okay, actually, okay. yep, yeah. Uh, so, uh, how about all the other names that I called you over the weekend, though? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Michal Molkan, who is from <clears throat> yep. uh, the. I, I, I want to kind of build it up because I think it needs it because it's so amazing. But like the beautiful and the very well put together Stand Art magazine. Um, Thank like, you. No, no, it is. And we were talking about this, and we'll go to why we were talking about it this weekend. But I am completely blown away with the uh, the final, the, like the, the kind of print version of what you do. It's like to have a coffee table book that anybody can read, and it isn't just for coffee geeks. Is is kind of cool. Um, yeah, and it's very very Thank well you. put together. So um, before we get into all of that stuff, uh, just let the people listening know a little bit about yourself kind of your background and and what you do right so um as as steven already kindly introduced me and michael uh, i'm 23 year old i'm from slovakia a little early country in central europe uh, i'm currently living in prague and i'm the so-called editor-in-chief or the founder of, of standard standard magazine so what what i do is we started to uh, started a print print publication more than uh, two two years ago, uh, in order to uh, like write about coffee people, put together interesting stories from from coffee culture from all around the world, uh, with a very simple goal to, uh, to to show people that good coffee it's not something that's just for for a bunch of hipsters and uh, cool people and good coffee can be uh, can be drank by by everyone. I have I have almost zero like coffee background. I have no Q grading courses. I have no certifications. I've never been a barista. Uh, I just although I've been invited to judge a few competitions last year, and I I, I didn't tell that to anyone. But I got I was completely lost. I had no <laughs> idea what to do. <laughs> but I had a good fun. So uh, yeah, I have no coffee background, and I have no publishing background. So. Uh, which was actually quite good because all the all the things we we started to do with uh, with, with festivals, with our press competitions, or with the with Standard Magazine, we had no like no boundaries in our heads. Like we just did whatever we thought it's cool or whatever we liked. And so yeah, so let's let just go over that there. So you you were twenty one. You've never yep, printed correct. a magazine. You've correct. never worked in coffee. And you decided that you were going to set up a coffee uh, magazine. Like, that's just, that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that was the plan. That was the plan. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Like, that's just, 
I mean, had you got friends who'd printed a magazine before? Had you, had you got friends in coffee? I mean, what, what, what's the story there? Because you can't just lie in bed one night and go, I'm going to make a magazine about coffee. There's got to have been some precursor or something that sparked it to the catalyst to make it happen. Right. So uh, at the at, at the time when when we started Standard was uh, like I, I've been in I've been in kind of involved in specialty coffee before because we did small coffee festivals in Slovakia. So I knew a few people that were baristas or, or roasters. So I, I had the very basic knowledge of what Arabica is, what the origin is and stuff like that. Uh, but I I didn't have any any friends in, in in publishing or like yeah so it was very very spontaneous so the the, the idea of standard it, it actually came to my mind on our like on my way back to back from Milan on an airplane when I was when I was reading uh, when I was reading one one publication so I, I've always been a fan of uh, high end print magazine about print magazines about technology or design or traveling. But uh, I was I was reading this magazine uh, on airplane, and it just came to my mind that wait a second, like why there is no like very well thought and very well designed and very well put together specialty coffee magazines in the specialty coffee industry that are produced on a specialty level, like from the aesthetics point of view, from the content point of view, and. That was it. So basically, the first issue, I just asked a bunch of friends that, hey, are you willing to write something for us? And are you willing to take a few photographs or draw a few illustrations? And yeah, that was it. That's crazy. So so it leads me on to a really in, a question, a question I've, I've been wanting to ask you and, and mm-hmm. I've never really got around to it. It's like, why print in like this age of digital where everything we do is, you know, is a PDF on a computer screen or, a, you know, a blog post or, um, you know, something like Sprudge or whatever. Like, why print? Yeah, well, it, that's that's kind of a paradox because I I think the the right answer to your question is the question itself or the, the content of the question itself that everything we do today is behind one or two or three or five screens. I, I always have to look at my smartphone. I'm sitting behind my computer the whole day. I have to consume all the all, like all this digital noise that I just look for a few moments in my life or like a few normal moments during the day where I can just turn off everything and just be with myself or be with my friends and uh, spend spend my spend some time without any digital distraction around so that's that's one thing that's uh, to have this kind of physical experience like to hold something tangible in your hands to uh, so the that's the first thing the the second thing is the um, it just the way how you the way how you perceive stories or the way how you read anything is uh, it really depends on on a whole whole bunch of other stuff like the environment the way how it's all put together uh, the way how it feels like when you have good quality paper you can just you can just feel it it's just it's just different when you read a, a PDF file or when you read a like something that's online mm-hmm. and especially in our case when like I I'm not a big fan of uh, uh, like articles. I don't know best large pictures of 2017 <laughs> championships. Like that's 
that's cheap. Like everyone does that or like a city guide to this city and like, or like coffee guide to this city or that city. Everyone does that. And it's not that hard to put that together. But <clears throat> when you really want to, when you really want to write long form piece about the gender, about gender sustainability at origin and, uh, and these hard hitting topics and the article is quite long the you, you can't really read those kinds of uh, those kinds of pieces online because in the middle of the article like you get an email you get a phone call you get a skype call you get a whatsapp notifications it's just it's just not not the right setting to uh, to read stories like like these I, I couldn't agree more. I think I, I find that um, I think the other problem for me with a lot of the um, uh, you know, online publishing is that anybody can do it. Um, you know, it, there's there is a very low uh, barrier to you know, entry point, um, and it means then that the quality can be quite different. And I find you right. know with your magazine that I feel that the content that I'm reading is that quality quality story that I'm going to sit down and have a cup of coffee with in a quiet space and not do right. anything else. Um, so how do you build the content that goes into there? Like what deters, determines for you the, you know, what's going to go in and what isn't because that level of quality, it, you know, needs to be maintained. Right. So exactly. So uh, the, uh, the content itself or the, the structure of the content is, is one of the key, uh, one of the key parts of, of the whole idea behind behind standards. So it's, of course, every article has to be interesting and informative and engaging by itself. But uh, the, what, what's most important is that those articles, like every article in in every issue, works well with the rest of the articles inside. So it's it's a kind of an experience. Like you begin on the page number one and you you end at the page one hundred thirty two. And like the flow, like the, the reading experience, like how the topics change, how the formats of different kinds of pieces change from photographs to illustrations, back to photographs. So the whole, this whole curation process is, is very important. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, we outlined three, uh, three chapters that we have right now. So it starts with uh, coffee, people, and the world. All of these chapters uh, have certain have certain kinds of articles like signature articles like being the boss or uh, meet your barista that we that we do in every in every issue with uh, different uh, different people. Uh, so we have a couple of these signature articles, and then we have a number of pieces that we uh, uh, that we change from 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 issue to issue. And the the, the process of selection, the, the this process of curation. Uh, it's basically we have to we have to look at a number of things like uh, uh, we are covering the whole world. So uh, when when we do a origin profile of uh, of Panama, uh, we'll do a, a city city guide to uh, uh, I don't know Tokyo or Singapore or Kuala Lumpur. Uh, then we'll do a, a metro barista from from London. Then we do a being the boss of someone from South Africa. So it's it has to be geographically, uh, gender-wise, and on all these levels uh, balanced. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, then the, the the topics themselves are. I, I like to I like to say that I, I don't really trust the hype. So when when there is a certain trend or something that's very 
like I don't know blue bottle launches pre-ground coffee or someone launches this product or that product we are we are not the ones that like start right about that thing immediately like okay so that's that's the new thing so let's do that so the the selection of the articles uh like it every every article has to be interesting today it probably would have been interesting when i would read that piece a year ago and we have to be sure that that article or that piece that feature have to be fantastic when I read it or actual when I read it from two, three, four years ago from now. Well, I think that's the thing with the magazine. You know, I, I kind of call it a magazine. I'm going to stop calling it because I do feel like it's a book. And <sighs> yep. the, the longevity of a book is obviously much longer than the longevity of a blog post or, you know, something mm-hmm. that, that is online. And it's still got to be interesting. If I, I saw plenty of people uh, at the show at the weekend that we'll, we'll talk about later, but walking around with pa- back issues um, of yep. the magazine, you know, I, the only people like James Hoffman can get away with selling their blog posts in a book uh, <laughs> at, like, years after they've written it. Um, but, uh, and, right. and I'm guilty. I bought one of the books too i have one on it on the way yeah me um, too yeah, yeah you know we're all suckers <laughs> for it but like it has to have that longevity to it that is you know um exactly yep. something you can pick up afterwards so when you're coming up with these ideas you, you kind of talked about curation and, and i'm guessing that i mean there's no way you can write everything in the the magazine yourself though now i've seen there's guest pieces yep. from other people do you approach people and say i'd like you to write this or do you encourage people to send you submissions say look this is something i was thinking about or how, how do you get the, that stuff together yeah so uh first of all i don't write anything at all because no one would ever like to read that uh, the only <laughs> thing i the only thing i write for the standard are the uh, uh the editor's letters and that's usually like always always after the deadline and just three days before print <laughs> so I have to write one short piece and even I'm late with that so uh, I'm not the perfect example of a, of a good writer but yeah so we we try to select the journalists or the writers uh, so it's also balanced so not quote-unquote just coffee people so uh, we work with uh, people that are like coffee journalists but then we also work with people that are academics or I don't know journalists that write about gastronomy for like famous publications as well for I don't know New York Times The Atlantic so we uh, we don't really want to just uh, for, for standard to be a publication that's written by coffee people produced by coffee people and targeted for coffee people so um, I think it's it's important to have another another pairs of eyes uh, of people outside of the industry writing writing articles related to, to coffee culture yeah so we some, sometimes when when I or like when me or my, my colleague like my colleague Luke Adams he's uh, he's the one in charge of, of of the whole content of standard so when he finds something interesting online uh, a topic that's uh, for instance published somewhere as a blog which is yeah, like don't 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 get me wrong. I'm I'm a big fan of of digital publishing and online publishing in general. Yeah, me too. But, uh, me too. Uh, because it's of course it it has its it has its place. Well, you have to have you have to have a a place where you publish all the news and all the uh, like fresh informations, uh, quick announcements and things like that. 
but we're just something completely different. So I, I don't really want to compare those those two worlds. So anyway, like when when we got an idea, uh, when we see um, a topic that we would like to explore more in depth, we just contact the writer, or we do a we do some research around that topic and find find someone suitable. So we we can actively look for someone. Or today we like we are very lucky that uh, we already established uh, we already established uh, a whole bunch of super talented people that. Uh, that write for us almost in, in every issue mm-hmm. or we got approached by by talented writers almost every every couple of days so uh, yeah there is no need for for good good writing so that's that's, that's good, good. That, that, that leads me on to kind of something else i wanted to ask you is like where's the line between content that brings in eyes or revenue and then content that feels valuable to you do you do you have to make those judgment calls sometimes when you're doing a commercial magazine you know because you want you want to sell it you want people to buy it because they're reading it but there's also sometimes you know there's opportunities um to bring in more eyes because you say oh this thing here look at it and it's like oh i want to buy it because of that so what's the balance right yeah that's a good one uh so we don't do we don't do PR articles at all in in standard. So the the, the basic the, the revenue model the business model behind standard is is very simple to understand. So for every issue we only have one one exclusive sponsor, and when we do write a write a piece about the sponsor, like I'm, I'm sitting in in Probert facility right now, so they're gonna be one of one of such, such people in, later in 2017. It's always done. In a in a way that it fits the rest of the content, it has to be obvious that well, it's a uh, it's a commercial it's a commercial collaboration. But uh, we are lucky that we just work with brands that we personally like and uh, we personally trust in, and we would like to have their no matter if they paid us or not. So uh, that makes things much much easier. So we have only one paid article inside and. That's it. Then we have some some partners that uh, that support us every every issue. So there was a short feature about that, but all the rest of the articles, like we don't need to have like any judgment calls that hey, this topic is interesting or like this grinder is interesting and or, like we'd like to do a re- review of uh, eight different grinders, let's say. But uh, yeah, so we've been sponsoring by we've been sponsored by this company that makes grinders. So we kind of sort of push one of those grinders that is good but probably maybe not the best but uh yeah they paid us so we just say that oh yeah so the outcome of the review is that this one is the best like we don't really want to do that and i think this is even illegal today to uh to do articles like this i i'm not sure if i answered your question actually but uh, no no i think i think so i think it's interesting because i we, we, this podcast is brought to you by Navonu similarly um <laughs> and, and and like similarly a massive friends of of yep. of me and colin like we all of the guys who work there we, we're super close to and like some of them i would call good friends you know it's, it's kind of like that but yep. i find myself being even harder on them like i find i find that I'd end up talking about other grinder manufacturers a little bit because I almost want to be that impartial because there, there are some 
there's some online content out there that I, you know, when you see them talking about one of their sponsors in a story, you just kind of go, why are they talking about them? So I almost try yep. not to talk about it because I don't want it to be a negative. And I, mm-hmm. and I also will probably be harder on them because I want to be more balanced. And that's, right. that's really difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. But uh, fortunately, it's uh, like business-wise, we, we, we're not relying just on the, um, the commercial relationships we have with partners or sponsors. So uh, it's, it's not our like, only source of revenue or income. So uh, it's, it's not that, that we have to have so many brands and we have to be uh, good and like, equal to, to, to everyone because without them, we couldn't survive at all. Uh, so yeah, it's, so we, we we have the the business model is much more balanced. We we work with sponsors, but it's the the features are not that big, so it's not about big big money. So uh, maybe that's that makes things a bit bit more easy. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. No, I think I think that it's uh, it's it's a very good point that you know it's kind of like. It's it's still got to be a commercial operation, you know. You've still got to make money. I mean, what? I'm not asking for figures here. What kind of percentage yeah. is it from? You know, selling magazines and you know, uh, partners coming in, um, it, you know, to 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 help along as well. I mean, what kind of balance is that? Right. So, uh, so so basically, the the three levels of of income we have at, at Standard is uh, so one one is the one are the the partnerships. Uh, the second are individual subscriptions. Is that we uh, we develop the network of uh, subscribers that get the magazine as soon as it comes out of a printer, and we always work with a uh, with a fantastic coffee roastery to provide little coffee samples as small gifts uh, for for the readers. So that's that's like the second part, the individual subscriptions, and the third part. Is uh, is retail like uh, people that uh, wholesale the magazine uh, in their coffee shops or on their websites? Like fantastic people, like has been. <laughs> you have to try yeah, their I coffee. Should, I, I, <laughs> I am a little bit of a fanboy of the magazine, and if I, I, I think I saw the sec. I think I saw the second one. Dale brought me a copy in, and I was just like, "We've got to sell this." So now, I mean, it's, it, for for us, I kind of think we've still got like some of the back copies there and stuff because you never sell out of all of them, and they trickle out. But I just think I've got more books and I've got coffee here. But it's 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 a bad, you know, it's like it's something that I know people go on the site and think, oh, I'll buy that, or it can just spark. I'm looking for the magazine and then buy some yep. coffee and stuff. It's a, it's a great little extra purchase. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so we so the, the, we have these three these three parts and. Uh, I would say they were almost in balance. So uh, the the commercial relationships, the partnerships, that's something around twenty to thirty percent. Uh, then the indivi- the individual subscriptions are <coughs> also something between twenty to thirty twenty five, and uh, the rest is wholesale. So forty forty percent, forty to fifty. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yep. So I'm going to go back to the, the actual book and, and, and kind of like the aesthetic of it. So okay. I, I'm fairly sure that there's been some uh, long meetings about paper thickness and there's been some fairly long oh, meetings God. about font choices and all of that stuff. Like, w- why were those choices made? Like, why, why does the magazine look like it does now? I mean, is that all from your head and the magazines you were reading before? Is that somebody else in the team who brought something along as like, oh, look at this? Or have you just kind of gone out and taken the best right. bits of other, other you know, books and magazines yeah. out there? 
yeah you're right like those discussions were real real long uh yeah so i'm I'm lucky that my my girlfriend she's in she's in charge of uh she's the reason why standard looks so beautiful so she's in charge of uh of the whole aesthetics part so she's communicating with the illustrators and she's putting it all all together uh so yeah we, we were looking we we're actively looking for inspiration in like different uh, magazines especially outside of coffee industry so mm-hmm. um, tech magazines gastronomy traveling just to just to get an idea what paper feels good in your hand uh, what typography is uh, is easy to read and looks elegant and will fit the format and yeah so it was it was just a lot of trying, a lot of testing. So uh, just, I had no idea that font could ever could ever like matter so much. Oh, it's I amazing. Really... So I had a yeah. me and, me and uh, Dale. We've re- recently gone through like we've kind of been revamping our brand a little bit. And I mm-hmm. think me and Dale have worked together for seven years, and I don't think there's ever been a crossword. And we mm-hmm. literally were shouting at each other about a font. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yep. like oh my god, exactly right. I've never felt this strongly about a font. Why, why am I feeling strong now? But you, you, it, it is a it's a very emotive thing. It is. It is. Yeah. Mm. So uh, yeah, it was all testing, trying. We we had a number of like just we picked we picked our favorites, just print print out the pages, put it all on a big wall, and just reading paragraphs and deciding what what feels good. Wow. And how long did that process take before you got the first magazine out? Yeah, so the, the first issue was, was a total punk. So uh, we just, yeah, we just totally random. No, no, yeah, I, I can't say we randomly put it together because it, it obviously took a lot of time. But uh, as it's I'm not sure how the quotation goes, but uh, when you're not ashamed by your first product, you launch the product too late or yeah, something, something <laughs> yes. like this. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was the idea. We just picked the fonts that we liked. Uh, we took the photographs we could by ourselves, or we uh, we asked friends to help us, and we just send it to the world. And then we started to improve, like from issue to issue. So there were no big uh, big pauses. That okay, so now we are going to do a rebrand or redesign. So we'll stop releasing new issues for, for the next year or next half year and we'll just uh, uh, redesign everything. So like in every issue from the number one to, to the current one, number eight, we just changed one or two little things to, um, and yeah, now like how it looks today, it's it's about uh, the one that I would like to look at for, for the next couple months, years maybe. No, it's 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 funny that uh, I, I've often used a joke. Is like uh, I I always started from a low base because it was much easier to improve from there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, exactly. It's kind of like my yep. motto for life. I think is uh, <laughs> start low. Everybody's always impressed with the next thing you bring out. Not that I'm saying that about your book at all. But yeah, that's but that's so true. Me. That's so true. Yeah. And and I and I do think that, that it, there's a paralysis of trying to perfect something. Whereas I don't think you really learn how to. To perfect it until you start mm-hmm. getting that feedback from producing something. Yeah, I mean, do, do your readers give you feedback on stuff that they like, things that they don't like? Do you kind of get that that flow backwards and forwards? Yeah, always. It's um, you have to you have to listen to uh, like to people you work with. Uh, you have to listen to your team and to to the readers. 
but you also have to be able to like filter those feedbacks because sometimes you can get stuck on one super negative reference for a one one tiny little detail that doesn't really matter at all but it just uh, shocks you so much that you get stuck on it for two weeks so you have to be able to filter the feedbacks to see that okay so this makes sense or we should probably discuss this more in depth or okay so just let it go uh, I think that's yeah. much more feedback in general. I, I mean, w w I've I, I find it quite amazing sometimes how how unthoughtful and rude and and actually like you know horrible people can be sometimes. Oh um, yeah, uh, like you know, in their feedback when they're st st you know sat in front of a keyboard rather than oh. sat in front of your face, it can be very harsh. Oh yes, oh yes. I mean, I, I you produce many many words, like you know, in that magazine. You don't personally, but somebody produces many many words. You, you just do the letters bit, but um, your your magazine has many words in it. And I'm sure there's times where there's been you know grammatical errors or or a spelling mistake or just something in there that wasn't quite. Do you find people coming at you for, with those when they spot them? Is is that something that happens? Right. So. Uh... We, we, we spend a lot of time before before the issue goes to print, like checking all the typos and these things. But uh, yeah, of course, there will always be some something super, super small that just uh, that, that you missed. Well, quite often it, you're dealing yeah. with technical language as well, aren't you? You're dealing with exactly. something that, you know, is not necessarily, as you said yourself, you're not, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't class yourself as a copy professional. You know, when you start getting into technical terms, it can be a lot harder to edit those things. Yeah. So, exactly. So it's 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 very easy to uh, to miss things like commas or or double spaces. Like now it's now it now it almost doesn't happen at all. I just don't want to say it too early. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. If anybody finds we... one, please email me. How? Yes, <laughs> yes, please. But it happened. It happened to me. Because we, we launched the Japanese version of standards uh, two months ago and uh, in, in Tokyo so we, we had a we had a big launch party at the festival and and uh, one, one of the blue bottle locations so we just started to we started to sell the magazines that day and I was asking my, my Japanese colleague Toshi super talented and dedicated guy uh, so what's the feedback of of our Japanese readers because obviously I just I, I don't speak Japanese so uh, I had no idea I I actually have no idea what's inside. I'm, I just have to trust <laughs> the, the the Japanese team that they they do a good job. Uh, but yeah, the again, the only thing I wrote for for Standard Japan was was the editor's letter. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I wrote it last November when I was in when I was in Kyoto, and the the general idea of the of the editor's letter was. Uh, uh, so it was a mood of traveling in a train. So I was comparing that train to the third wave movement that some people get in, some people got off on some some stations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was beginning that editor's letter that right now I'm departing from Kawaramachi uh, JR station in Kyoto. And uh, so that was the beginning of the editor's letters, uh, of the editor's letter. Then we did the translations and everything was all good. And after like six or eight weeks, I asked Toshi that, uh, so what's the feedback? Like, did anyone find any typos, mistakes, missed paragraphs, whatever? 
And he said, well, yeah, su surprisingly, actually, everyone is excited. No one found any, any mistakes, but uh, uh, I specifically asked for negative feedback. And he said, well, yeah, I, I haven't received any negative feedback so far. And the only email I got was uh, from one of our Kyoto-based readers that, uh, that told me that, hey, Toshi, maybe I'm probably the only person that realized this, but... Uh, there is like the Kawaramachi station in Kyoto is not a JR, it's another line. <laughs> so I just missed the station and the line. Oh, man. So I was like, what the hell? So, so I mean, that's that's yeah. an interesting point because like, obviously you've got somebody else doing the editing there and you're doing your editing magazine here. Yep. And I'm... You would not tell, but English isn't your first language. Obviously, you're from Slovakia. Of course, and of course. So yep. Does that pose any extra challenges? That you know, you, there's sometimes there's this, and I mean, and also you're dealing with a worldwide community where there's a lot of slang words as well that may not necessarily, you know, I, I'm the worst for it. I use terrible words all the time that nobody understands. Does that pose extra problems? Oh, oh yeah, it does. Uh, well. From the, I think even from the issue one, we always had, uh, we always had, we always had some like native native person that was helping out with uh, with proofreading and uh, editing. Yeah. And uh, right now for the, so right now we released issue number eight. So for the last four, for the last four issues, uh, we're lucky to have the new colleague Luke Adams. He's uh, he's based like he, he's he's from Australia, but he lives in England in Oxford. And uh, so he has a master's from Victorian literature from Oxford. So uh, his English is really good. So we can <laughs> have anyone better for for doing edits. And uh, yeah, so he's the one. He's the one in charge of of the whole language language aspect of of standard. So uh, of course not not myself, but it's yeah. I I feel it's it's really really important to. Um, you have these, especially like when you like when you have customers in in North America or uh, in Australia, UK, like has to be perfect. Yeah. Well, you see, that, I mean, the other problem is if you send into the US, uh, they've took a perfectly serviceable language and kind of mashed it up into. <laughs> they call football soccer. It's it's crazy. I don't understand what they've done at all. Well, um, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the link between kind of creative people uh, and writers mm -hmm. and coffee people and how okay. it seems to be for me uh, that creative kind of writing people seem to be very interested in coffee. I mean, I have a lot of customers who come from that, that side of things and coffee mm -hmm. people seem to be very interested in the creative side and, and also writing, you know, you, you perhaps not so much now, but you know, the proliferation of blogs in, 2003 2004 that kind of happened right and how you know we have magazines out there that is basically about a, a beverage you know that sometimes we add some milk to and put pretty patterns on um you know so to, you have to be quite creative to make that into a writing thing so do you see a link between the two groups of people yeah that's a that's a good question well of course there was a link well that's that's one of the reasons why why i'm involved in in coffee in like in the first place like why why do i start why did i start to work in coffee in, in the first place is that uh coffee connects so many people of so many different backgrounds like uh all the like architects design people programmers people that i don't know go to farmers markets 
they all are very they have a very similar lifestyle and a big part of that lifestyle especially in, in cities like San Francisco or, or Melbourne or, or London involves coffee as well so uh, you don't have like coffee just for the coffee nerds so it's the, the community around coffee is really really broad so that's that's the target like that's those are the people that we are targeting the magazine at so we we've never wanted for standard to be a, a geeky publications for the for the number of for, like for the coffee especially coffee elites so they can just talk about the uh, super important issues uh, just um, between themselves but uh, we wanted to get get in close contact to uh, these design communities creative communities so that's yeah i think that there is definitely a link so um, you're saying about pressing issues just then and, and kind of important issues. Like, what what do you feel is the most important and pressing issue that we have in coffee at the moment? Like, what what's the thing that's kind of wetting your appetite when you see somebody, you know, uh, putting a piece of uh, you know a piece of work in and you go, that's that you know that to me is really important right now. Oh yeah, that's a. It's a tough one, yeah. and I'm sorry I've put yeah, you on the spot with one. it. Um, but I, I, I kind of, I, I know that, like for me, I, I, I kind of swap from thing to thing. Like a lot recently, I've been thinking a lot about certifications and the whole um, direct trade thing. Not because. I didn't think about it so much when it was new. I'm kind of thinking much more. It's been around for a long time, and actually, we still haven't found a solution for it. Climate change and you know uh, problems at origin is obviously a, a hot topics, and yeah, you know, yeah. it's that kind of thing that I'm thinking of. Is like, what what do you feel is that that thing? Well, yeah. Well, everything that you mentioned is uh, is definitely a like topic of discussion that has to be that has to be solved within like yesterday, today, or within a very short period of time when i when i look at it from from my perspective like someone who's not a coffee professional like who i i don't have that much knowledge and uh, uh in sourcing coffee and uh in climate so i don't really want to talk about these things without having all the all the insight mm -hmm. but when i when i look at it from a like a consumer point of view and from someone that has no coffee background I would say the the education and transparency of of the whole coffee chain has to definitely improve because uh, I have so many friends and they they all drink special coffee. Some of them got like single groups machines for home. Some of them brew their coffee at their homes or uh, go to go to nice coffee places. But uh, even some of them they they don't realize that how many people have to be involved in, in the whole production chain or that coffee is actually a fruit and you have to you have to pick them uh you have to pick the cherries with your hands so someone has to be in the in the mountains picking the cherries so like this whole this the all these stories uh behind behind this behind the coffee chain a lot of people have no idea about them i was i remember when i was at the uh, uh, it was the collab conference in in Paris by mm. Brister Guild of Europe, yeah. <clears throat> like two one and a half years ago, and uh, there was a presentation by Klaus. Oh yeah, you were the MC of. Uh... It was a tamper tantrum uh... with, with collab. Yes, yes exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just realized, people can go back yes. and watch that talk. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, but yes, exactly. Yeah, I so know I, exactly I, what I you mean. I, I remember the uh, speech of Klaus Thompson from from Coffee Collective, 
uh, when when he mentioned, I'm not sure if it was in the presentation or in the QA after the presentation, but uh, he said that you have to, uh, for one double shot of, of espresso, again, depends on the origin or variety, uh, you have to have 100 beans or you have to pick with your hands 50 coffee cherries and put them in a basket, take them to a processing station. And I just I just paused for a few seconds and I and I because I I've never I've never realized this like for one goddamn cup of espresso like someone has to do all this work and now imagine that you are a barista or you're a customer in the shop and oh yeah so this espresso is yeah not good at all I want another one oh yeah I screwed this one yeah I'll make you another one that's all right and. You stop and you start thinking that hey, whoa, wait a second, this is this just doesn't make sense. This is just stupid. Yeah, so, uh, people should go back and watch that. It's not a fair example yeah. because I'd listen to Klaus Thompson read the telephone book to me. Um, like <laughs> he's one of the most interesting people in. Like we literally chased him for about three years trying to get him to do Tampa Tantrum, um, yeah. and he finally relented because he was just sick of us bothering him all the time. Um, uh, but he was such an interesting talk, and I, yep. I, I love that he when he was you know basically the focus of the talk was about we need to get young people interested in coffee production or we're not going to have any coffee because nobody wants to yep. grow it anymore because we're not paying enough yep. for it and we're not looking after the people who do the hard work and and it, it's a fantastic talk um that's really good i wish yep. I'd, i wish i'd come up with that one instead of the the um <laughs> the cliche of uh um climate change and um and certifications but um so yep Eight, eight editions so far of Standard, and you've got a you know a mass of uh, stories and thoughts and opinions in there. Um, <laughs> what's the one piece that you're most proud of? Oh yeah, so that's a tough one. Uh... <laughs> okay, yeah, one of the pieces yep, you're yep. most proud of. It doesn't have to be the most, because again, I'm I'm putting you on the spot. I love putting people on the spot. It's kind of my job. Yep, yep, yeah, that's good. Well, <laughs> to me, to, yeah, the probably one one of the one of the pieces I I like the mo most is uh, is it the upcoming issue eight? And that's by Al Keating mm -hmm. from the the legend behind Coffee Supreme from from New Zealand, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and he he wrote a feature for. Uh, uh, for a signature article called "Being the Boss," and the subtitle, the subheading was "Don't be too bossy." <laughs> uh, so it was it was basically about like leading a company, creating the the company culture, and uh, things related to that. And his personal story, how how he got into how he got into coffee. There were so many good ideas inside, and and especially I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of of all himself. Because I have just seen a few few of his presentations just before we we started Standard or just at the time we started Standard, so I I really really enjoyed that piece. But I, uh, I wish yeah, I'd known but, about that piece. I could have copied it and uh, copy and pasted for the presentation I did at the <laughs> uh, coffee festival last weekend. That well, was, yeah, you you did great. Oh, was, I'm not sure perfect. about it. I, I don't think I can quite uh, <laughs> I can quite measure up to somebody like Al. But um, no, it was a, it, it was a. a so for those listening, I, I did we did a talk um, at the Standard Coffee Festival in uh, Bratislava on uh, Saturday about company culture. So I should have copied and pasted that. Um, <laughs> that leads me lovely yeah. and nicely into the coffee festival. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, um, again, for those who don't know, um, and why don't they know? They should. But what what festival was it? What was the thinking behind it? Tell us a little bit of the history of, of that festival that you ran this right. weekend. Right. So we a few a few years ago, actually before before we started Standard. How old uh, are you then? About twelve. <laughs> well, well, yeah, good point. Uh, so yeah, there was there was like four. It was four or five five years ago. Uh, we we started to organize coffee coffee festivals in in, in Bratislava and later in in Vienna, Austria, and uh, it was like a small coffee event with a, with a whole bunch of local and international roasters changing behind behind espresso machines so we got some machines from from Lamazuko and from from a few other people we hosted a few talks and uh, and workshops and we've been doing that for for two years and that, that was one of the reasons why I started standard after after those events because I I love the community I, I love the the coffee atmosphere but uh, in the same time I just wanted to do something tangible that when you finish your work you can you can physically hold the outcome of, of your work uh, so th- that's why we started to uh, to do print but those those festivals uh, led into uh, our signature event which we very originally called standard festival uh, with a well, with a, with the subheading coffee design cocktails, and the the general idea is that it's not just a coffee festival. Like we we, we just didn't want to yeah, compete with uh, with other coffee festivals. I I regularly go to um, to many coffee events happening all around the world, but uh, we just wanted to create something something small, something for the community. Uh, we have in, 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 in these countries here uh, something where people can get together every year, something that's not crowded with, uh, with like 50 stands of people that paid for having like eight square meters and giving away flyers. So we, we did the, we did the uh, coffee, coffee design cocktails concept. Uh, with having international and local roasters, uh, with having two uh, two cocktail bars, with uh, uh, with different like, with selection of, of artisan or like craft good good gins, and uh, bar teams from like last weekend we have a bar to, we have we had bar Tamini from London, and then one famous Slovakian cocktail bar just making their signature cocktails. And uh, then we just uh, had a few lectures or, or and, and, and workshops from from designers. So the the idea was to uh, to get people uh, to get mostly coffee people talking about other things than coffee while drinking coffee. Because when you when you think about that, that you do a coffee festival that's organized by coffee people, it's for coffee people that go there to drink coffee and to talk about coffee yeah that sounds that sounds sometimes just too heavy so uh, we wanted to get people caffeinated and to talk about i don't know urbanism architecture design and these things that we also cover in in standard so yeah it's, it was kind of a mixture like like that i mean i've been to i've been to many of those festivals a lot along with you and 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 um 
I, I've said it many times on this on this podcast. It's like my if I ever die and go to hell, it will be walking around a trade show floor somewhere with those booths. I'll be just trapped there for forever. Like that is my idea of hell. Yep, yep. Um, so when Dale came to me and said, "How do you fancy going and do a stand in in Slovakia?" I was like, "No," but he convinced me that it would be a, a, a good idea, and I didn't think it was a good idea having. What did I do? Um, think I did five brew bars of an hour and a half. So that's seven and a half hours of me making coffee. Um, <laughs> and I, I worked espresso bar for four and a half yeah. hours. And nobody should ever let me near an espresso machine. Um, <laughs> like, I, I make coffee beans go brown. I don't make them go wet. Um, but um, I actually... I really enjoyed it, which is a bit weird. Um, but I felt I felt the atmosphere was very different. I mean, first of all, people were getting drunk a little later on, and they're always people are always better when they're drunk. Um, but it was, yeah, you know, it seemed yeah. a little bit more friendly. I mean, is that the general scene in in Bratislava, or or is that something that you feel you fostered at the event? Uh, yeah. So so two things. So one is probably true that the, the the general attitude of like east europeans or central europeans like people in slovakia czech republic poland we just tend to be very friendly very open and and talkative so uh that that can make the the atmosphere nice uh so that's number one and yeah number two it's a lot of the people that came to the festival are already like our customers or subscribers or, or friends so we all kind of know each other so that makes it like a family like a big family gathering so yeah the like to make the atmosphere like this that's one of the ultimate goals like the, the festivals like standard festival it, that's not a that's not a business for us so it's it's, it's mainly a, a community thing to uh, like to, to bring together the community and to yeah, to learn from each other at the event to meet. There was, yeah. there was a distinct lack of syrup, syrup salesmen and people trying to sell me paper cups as well, which is always a bonus at a festival for me. Um, so <laughs> yep, no, I yep. mean, it, but it was very different, and and I think you know, hats off for putting together something that was actually quite fun. And um, <laughs> yeah, you know, appreciate it. Very good, very good. Um, okay, um, I can hear I can hear Jen on my shoulder at the minute going, "You're getting close to the hour. Shut up." So I'm going to wrap up, but before I do, uh, I just want to ask you some questions about <clears throat> okay. what's what's inspiring you at the moment within coffee and outside of coffee. So what are the what two things are getting you kind of excited? Um, anything at all it can be. Uh... Whoa! Yeah, another tough one. Another so tough what, what, what's what's inspiring me in coffee? And it's, outside uh, of coffee, it's yep. it's probably it's probably nothing like nothing new, not a new trend, but uh, very like lately, I, I I felt very inspired by the Italian hospitality and the uh, Italian aperitivo lifestyle. That you get off work at four or five p.m., uh, you get a cup of espresso, you go out for for Negroni. And you just see how these cocktail bars or co- coffee shops operate. That like barista and bartender is essentially the same person. Mm-hmm. So I just started to learn about the the history of Italian hospitality much much more because so far I was just oh yeah Italy that's yeah that's that's the shitty coffee that's uh, yeah the old school. Uh, so I I was looking upon the San Francisco and. Uh, 
all these fancy third wave cities and now I started to learn a bit more about the the, 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 the yeah heritage or how to call that mm-hmm. uh, so that's that's what, what what inspiring me what inspires me today and outside of outside of coffee mm, yeah whole whole bunch of things I started to uh, run recently like to to do running every every morning or Every uh, every it's so a often, slippery slope, so... my friend. You'll end up doing marathons <laughs> and then end up with terrible knees like me. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah I, cool. I, was, I got really into it. I'd, I've done nine marathons in the past four wow. years. I should I should be doing one on Saturday, but unfortunately, I've got to go to Ethiopia, so um, I've managed to <laughs> get it because I am Very so cool. fit anyway. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm probably into the run. So next time we're in town together, we'll have to go for a run and you'll have to go slow because I'm very old. But uh, that'd be good. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So um, be- wrap up the last one, I guess, should be. Um, so what? what's the future for Standart? I mean, I know that you've got um, you're advertising mm-hmm. for a marketing and sales person at the moment. Um, yep. So obviously the team's growing, but w- w- what do you see as the, the future? And if there's somebody listening here who's a marketer or salesperson, who should they talk to as well? Yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, one, one, of the, one of the short-term futures are um, uh, to publish more uh, language variations. So uh, we started with, uh, with Standard Japan this year. And uh, we have standard Korea and standard China on the list. So and to do and it, you can do to one do in it... Irish as well for Colin to understand. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he says to me half of the time. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we can yeah we can discuss that. Good. So yeah, uh, yeah to do uh, to do uh, to do Asian language variations and to do them independently. So we get approached already by a by a whole bunch of uh, uh, people that that just publishing houses that they wanted to do a Thai version of standard Greek or Chinese Korean or like Polish. I don't know, but we we want it like we we want to keep it uh, all in house and all like independent to production, design, marketing, and everything. So uh, yeah, that's that's what what we'll be up to for for the next two three years to establish these these three language variations, and 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 yeah, in the in the long run, uh, we already started to uh, started to do some works like some work outside of the the boundaries of standard magazines. So again, in it's still in publishing like for uh, for Tim Varney and Tim Williams from the World Era Press Championship. Uh, with a the annual, so it was a first uh, production work outside of Standard Magazine, and we seem to be a, a number of other similar projects coming up over over the next few months or years. So yeah, but I'm I'm pretty open to uh, uh, to things like product design or design in general, since my girlfriend she's a she's a product designer or industrial designer. So uh, yeah. It's amazing. I may, I may, I may have to talk to you about my book at some point then, because I need some help <laughs> with my, uh, my, my finished article stuff, and uh, it's just got to be better than Collins is the only thing that I've set my barrier <laughs> as. Uh, the only reason I'm writing a book is because I, if Collins done one, anybody can do one, and mine's got to be better. <laughs> so uh, very yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is setting the bar quite high because he's yeah. But anyway, um. <laughs> Michal, you've been an absolute gentleman of Johnny. Thank you. I'm so impressed. Thank you. Appreciate when you were it. talking, I kind of kept going, this is crazy. And it's kind of crazy that you are 23 years old and you've published eight fantastic magazines. You've done 
X amount of coffee festivals. You are doing all these other things. It's super, super impressive. Um, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time because I know that you are, you've been very busy and uh, you've been in Germany with Probat and stuff. So thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, thank, thank you, you Stephen. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Same for you. And, um, thank you all for listening. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.